these are insurmountable odds and the world is against me, but I need to overcome. And the only way I can overcome is with God. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we have Eric. Good morning. We've got Karen. Mm-hmm. Right here. And we've got Tracy. Good morning. Hello, everybody. Oh, I hate it when I do that. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Glad to have you with me today. Ah. Uh, I did something kind of fun this week, and I say fun because it was part of my, it was part of work. But um, and Eric, I think you've had some dealings with these people in the past. I got to go and work in a honey processing and bottling plant here in town. I think I you know in the factory though. I I photographed yeah. products, but never been in the factory. Yeah, so you've been able to deal with them. I got to go into the factory, and let me tell you yeah. something. You go into a honey factory. That I don't think there's a place on the planet that smells better. That's <laughs> I mean, what I thought when I was in one. Yeah. I mean, I got to, I, you know, I walked in the door and I, immediately I just went, oh, I love this place. <laughs> it was super hot, though. I mean, it was so warm in there. And I assume that's to keep honey flowing. But, man, I mean, we're talking giant vats full of honey and barrels of barrels of honey and, and little friendly bees flying around. I mean, it's like it. It's probably the closest thing I've ever been to being in a in Willy Wonka's factory, you know. I mean, so I have two questions for you. Yeah. One was everybody busy. <laughs> busy. <laughs> and did it did it remind you of the promised land, the milk and honey thing? You know what? It, that actually didn't occur to me till just now. There wasn't any milk, so oh, you know, it was just the land of honey. So it was only half good, but. Yeah, it was it was just an interesting place to be, you know. I mean, there's just there's pallets full of bottles of honey, and I really kept hoping somebody was going to offer me some samples. But uh, you got to sign a waiver. It's like you don't touch anything. I mean, you're standing next to this giant vat full of honey, and I so badly wanted to just dip a finger in there, or you know, just jump in or something, you know. They, they don't want anybody anybody pulling a Winnie the Pooh where they get so excited about the product they get stuck halfway through the door trying to get back out or something. <laughs> exactly. That was more what I was thinking than land of milk and honey. I was just thinking, you know, I want to stick my hand down in there and get a big handful of it like Winnie the Pooh and just sit there and, and nibble on it all day long. But that was uh, verboten <laughs> in the place. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, I mean, I did have to put on a hairnet and all that kind of stuff, and uh, yeah, and there, there weren't a ton of people working in there, but but man, I tell you, that smell was something else. It was just, it was amazing, and I don't know if I'll get to ever go back in there again or not, but it might if they have us back in to do some work there. But uh, that was a fun, that was awesome. a fun work experience. So I just thought I'd share a fun work experience, and I guess cool. I could give you guys the opportunity. <laughs> If work's ever fun, you know, you ever have any good fun work experiences like that? Maybe not like that, but, you know, something where work becomes fun. Well, I must be a total nerd because I usually have fun when I work. And I'm I think that the weirdest things are fun. Like yesterday at my work, I had to take these people around. We're doing this huge records management program uh, project. And I just happen because of the position that I hold. I happen to know the most about it. And so I was giving the tour 
of to of the place to these people and showing them the records that they were going to be doing this that and the other with and i don't know what got into me i was just feeling feisty but i was like they were taking pictures of the records as we went and they were doing it so that because they charge by the box right so they're doing it to create a visual of what we have and i don't i just was feeling goofy and i decided to like get into all the pictures and do my best masked vanna white thing and so there I am just like beaming and holding up my hands and, and it was, yeah. So now they've got several dozen pictures of me acting like a complete, and by the end of it, I had the project manager posing on the other side of the pictures with me. So we all just went downhill from there. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I like working. I'm one of those weird people that really likes working. So I typically have fun no matter what I'm doing. You're such a nerd. I know. It's a good thing. <laughs> Well, should we get into our discussion then? Let's do it. There's some good stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're continuing in the book of Joshua today. And last week, listeners will probably recall, we talked about Rahab quite a bit and her uh, role in helping the spies as they spied out the city of Jericho. And this week, we got into the actual the actual battle of Jericho. And I don't know, I don't know how much you call it a battle really, but you know, from the and perspective of the city. Yeah. From the perspective that we get from the reading, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of battle. It was, um, I don't know. It was just interesting. So the God, he, he tells the people and they've already decided, okay, we're going to go in. It was such a, a difference from the last time when, you know, 40 years prior when the Israelites had gone into the land and, said, nope, the people are too big and, and we can't do it. And this time now we've got this giant, I suppose the city was there before, but we've got this city with these huge walls. Tracy mentioned last week that the walls, and I've heard this before too, I think. I think that's Babylon we're thinking of. That could be. Maybe I'm. Maybe we're thinking the wrong thing. But I know that this definitely was a well-fortified yeah. city. Big, maybe not, not so big that you could drive a chariot across it, but um, or, or along the walls. But at any rate, it was we um, have a house in the wall. Yeah, they yeah, have to have right? a house in the wall, or at least yeah. Did anybody else get the song stuck in their head? Because the song's been stuck in my head all week. Joshua bit the bat. Joshua bit the bat around Jericho. Yeah, Jericho, I just all week Jericho. long. Oh my goodness, I can't take it. <laughs> I love that song. I love yeah, it. You ever heard Elvis's version? No. Hugh Laurie's the best. <laughs> the no, best. My choir was the best. My choir. When oh, I was oh, in school, we I went to, to New York City. And my sister and I were the only white kids in a school. And our teacher, I mean, it was, there were, there was, a, okay, there was a Pakistani kid and a Puerto Rican kid. And, um, but the rest of it was, it was all black, the whole school, as was our teacher. And it was, a, it was a, it was a Christian school, small one, really small one. We met in a church basement. And when she taught us to sing, we weren't just singing the words. You had to feel it. Like you had to really, feel it when you're singing it. And I remember being a little white kid singing this and I was like, wow, these people are like, these folks are into it, like in a different way of just like singing it. And I will never forget just putting myself a hundred percent into the music like the other kids were. And I've never been in a choir like that since then. I've been in a choir singing the words, but you don't feel the words. Yeah. The best version I've ever heard is by a group called the Vocal Majority. They're a four-part harmony a cappella group. And so think, you know, along the lines of barbershop, but like hundreds of men 
And I mean, these guys have to have to audition and it's really hard from what I understand to get into this group. And if you ever get a chance to hear it, turn the speakers up as loud as you could possibly get them <laughs> because man, it will rattle the house and you will, enjoy, you will love again, the vocal majority. Um, my favorite version is by the actor Hugh Laurie. He played um, House in the TV show House, yeah. and yeah. he's he's a bomb blues musician. And him and his piano do this amazing version of Joshua. Oh, so good! Have to look that All up. Right. Well, anyway, it, sorry to sidetrack. I just had the song stuck in my head. No, okay, so so let's just think about this. Why would this song? be such an important spiritual now to, to, to those who who um, are listening elsewhere who don't know the history of this this is this became or is famous i guess it's, it's a genre of music is a negro spiritual it was uh, a song famous just to be sung in 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 um in that population the christian population now i'm just thinking about this why why would that be so important because and like this is to me this is a super cool story like at, at the end of last week we read this little you know blurb at the end of chapter five where joshua looks up and there's this guy standing there and he says you know who are you are you for us or for our enemies and the guy goes well no i'm with the lord's army and here's what you're going to do so like this week's reading starts off with like well here's your instructions and here's what you're going to do and this is such a like this is this is the promised land this is God's people who were led up, brought out of led out of slavery with miracle after miracle. And like they were so clearly in God's hand. And now here, now you're now you're at the edge of the promised land and you have to go in and you have to conquer this city that is so obviously out of your league that it's yeah. almost painful. And all you have to do is march around it, shout at it and God will knock it down. And then you just go in and take the city. I mean, what a what a promise of conquering and God putting the inheritance that he promised you into your hand. And maybe this is going to be the generation that actually see the promises come to fulfillment. So when I think about, you know, slavery in America, like that's that's gold. Like, you know, you're hope. These people were brought to America, but they weren't experiencing the land of freedom. They were brought here as slaves, and they were still waiting for these promises, waiting for some kind of hope of, of liberation and stuff like that. I mean, talk, I just, I love this story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a song of hope. It's a, and I think, Karen, you, your point to, like, this is an impossible hope. Mm -hmm. Oh, Tracy's hands up. We see. We, we're we're I'm, I'm loving yeah. that. I'm we're meeting online. So I was looking for it today. I was on the bottom. I was like, wait, where's my uh, hand button? I need that. Right. So we're watching each other on video, and Tracy can push a button, and we see his hand up. Go, Tracy. You know, I think I look at it from the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, the black point of view, my point of view, is that when you start off and they describe Jericho, one of the first things they say is that there, it was a fortress and the walls were up to the heavens where it seems insurmountable. Yeah. And, you know, that being um, a spiritual for the black community is that, you know, during that slavery and that kind of oppression is that that's how it looked. It looked insurmountable mm. and that all you could rely on was God. Yep. And that's where you get those spirituals from. It's these are insurmountable odds and the world is against me, but I need to overcome. 
And the only way I can overcome is with God. God's got to do it. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. it's all faith, hope, driven. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, I don't disagree at all. Yeah. I think that's, and we it's it's easy here when we're when when Israel's coming in and they start to conquer that we can think like yeah go Israel and it's kind of easy to forget how actually impossible what they were facing was. Oh yeah, you know, and I I look at this and. And being in the military 20 years, it starts out by saying, you know what? These were men of valor. And and men of valor, it reminds me of the times that I was with the Marine Corps. Being a hospital corpsman with the Marine Corps, that's what a a man of valor is. It's a special breed of soldier that they are motivated. That is their job is to go and conquer very much like the Marines. And to tell them you cannot fight, you have to march around, mm. yell at the top of your lungs, blow your trumpet, say your hallelujahs, and that's it. Do you know what that would do to a man of valor? A person that was bred for war, that's what he wants to do, is to conquer. That takes all the power out of their hands and puts it firmly in God's hands. This was nothing for man. This was not an accomplishment for man. This was all God. Solid. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's a that's an awesome perspective. But thanks. Hundred percent. Yeah. And that well, I've actually wondered as we read some of these early stories with Israel and we talk about, you know, cho- you know, the men between these ages and these were the these were the ones who trained as soldiers and whatever. I've actually wondered a few times how like you dudes would feel about that. Like, Hey, you're in the army. Um, God's going to win the battles for you. You know, like, like here's your position to go and conquer, except God's going to do it for you. And I've often wondered like if, on the masculine point of view, like would that, would that be frustrating or would it be liberating or would it be shades of both? You know, yeah, I think, I think that you bring up a super good point, And I think that that is, the difference between the first time Israel gets there and the second time, because the first time it was us. What can we yeah. do? We can't overcome these people. And they weren't, they just weren't looking at God because when you, when we, and this time they are mostly, we'll get into some interesting times when they don't. And it, by the way, we see what happens with that real fast. But when they're looking to see now the commander of the, of the heaven's army tells Joshua what to do. It's a one-to-one. He doesn't t- now notice that God didn't tell Joshua how this is all going to happen. He just says, "This is what you do." Yeah, you know, it says that the city is going to the walls are going to fall down flat, but yeah, that makes no sense, right? I mean, that's not a that's not a military strategy. <laughs> it just does it doesn't make any sense. He gets told to do these things like, "Well, okay, I'll just do them." That's faith. It's like I don't know, see how this could possibly work, but I'm going to do it anyways. Now, as Joshua talked to his soldiers. They hadn't heard from God personally. They didn't have a smoking, flaming mountain like they did when they received the Ten Commandments. Joshua just stands up and says, okay, guys, here's the plan. And they had to be willing, just like Tracy's saying, these men of valor to say, all right, man, I'm going to follow whatever you say. And furthermore, they weren't supposed to speak a word as they're walking around over and over. That would absolutely freak out the people in that city. They would just be like, okay. What in the what is happening here? Because we've heard of battles, but this is 
And and all through this, and we'll see it as we as we conquer, as we as we see them conquering here, it, then it's never the same plan twice. Yeah, we, we never see them walk around a city again and blow trumpets and yell. It's a one-time thing. And I've heard, oh, I saw some science program where they're like, well, actually, if you get a sound loud enough, you know, and you get the you get, <laughs> you get destructive interference and vibration. And I saw a thing. They built a horn that was like eight feet tall and they built a, I've done some bricklaying and they built the weakest, saddest little brick wall I've ever seen right in front of this horn. And they had to be a mile away when they blew this thing. And then you could see it kind of fall over. I'm like, Oh, that is so incredibly impossibly lame as a comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Just you had people making that sound next to a wall that was so thick. It had houses in it. And as Tracy said, the military spies said, yeah, it's up to the heavens. And these people were, they were basically giants. Because remember, the assessment of the spies 40 years earlier, I don't suspect the people of Canaan got smaller in 40 years. And so these are still giants, and giants are making giant fortresses. This is, it's impossible. It's an impossible thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they take it by faith. And so to that point, I believe, at least in, in, in Jericho, they're taking it by faith. Yeah, and that, it doesn't say it here in the text, but have you guys heard that the walls fell outward? Oh no, I don't know anything about that. I heard that somewhere. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's true, and I, I don't know if you could look at ruins and see that or not. But that, that's something I've heard. So you know, uh, people can research that for themselves if they want to. But if that were the case, that would be very, very interesting, wouldn't it? Well, I don't think there's any way to know that anyway, because there's no there's no ruins because somebody came along later and tried to rebuild it, didn't he? Yes. So yes. I mean, there's not. So the, I mean, that that's not going to even exist. Is it yeah. like eel? H i h i e l something like that. Yeah, oh, yes. tried rebuilding it later. So let's let's look at um, seventeen uh, chapter six, seventeen and eighteen, and it says, "In the city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction." So this is basically it's an offering to the Lord. It's set apart. Devoted means set apart as an offering to the Lord. That's what it is. All the stuff inside is God's offering. Like, Matt, you went to the honey factory. They're like, not your honey. You don't get to touch it. Right. Okay? They were given the same instructions. All the stuff inside here, not yours. It's God's. Don't touch it. And then it goes on to say, only Rahab the prostitute and all that is within shall be, uh, Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom she sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction Last, when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So they are told very, very, very clearly, if you take a thing that is forbidden and you keep it, you will suffer the same punishment that was assigned to it. That's important as we get into the next couple chapters. Yeah, for the most part, the uh, the instructions are followed. Um, for the most part. The spies are sent in to bring out Rahab and her family, which, as you recall, she uh, was to put that red cord out her window so they'd know where, where she was. And uh, so some were sent in to specifically get her out. But, um, yeah, the uh, after the... So six days, they're marching around the vet. Very first day... 
the very first day they do it in complete silence. And like you said, that that to me would be so creepy to see this army, this, you know, these people clearly geared up for battle, but just completely silent. And all they're doing is walking around the city. And boy, I think that that would be creepy. You know, it's sinister. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, it's almost taunting. I don't know, man. It's just uh, like, wow, that would be. That would be intimidating. At least it would be to me. I mean, what are they doing? What What's going on? And and then they just that first day they walk around quietly one time, and just they just go home. Then the next day they come back through and they they blow trumpets. So for the next what five days, then they blow trumpets as they walk. But then they get to that seventh day and they walk around seven times, blow the trumpets and shout, and and then the walls fall. Can you imagine, I, I imagine that, that this is pure speculation and imagination, okay, <laughs> that somewhere outside of this, on the hills surrounding this, were people from the other countries, spies, watching the battle. Oh, yeah. 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 Can you imagine, and you see them walking around and walking around and walking around, and then they shout and yell and the walls fall down. Can you imagine how you would feel when you saw that happen? Nope. It would absolutely <laughs> pure terror and you'd go back and your 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 strong city would say well what happened you're like um you're not gonna like this yeah (laughs) yeah because well we know we know that after reading about rahab last week that everybody in the area was very aware of these people and the way they had gotten out of egypt and the way they had crossed the red sea and how they had come across the the jordan these people all knew what was going on and seeing this stuff happen. And boy, you, you, yeah, like you say, you, you're, you're an observer watching and you just got to be going, Oh my gosh, what is coming? What is going to happen? What's happening here? What's coming our way? Yep. I mean, I, I guess, you know, you got to think it'd be kind of like a big storm coming or, you know, if you, well, shoot, if you lived up in the mountainous areas around here when you, and you saw those forest fires coming in, you know, and is it coming this way? And what's going to happen when it yeah. gets here? And yeah. and oh gosh, oh. yeah, just one of those things. No stopping it. Yeah. So I, I saw something. I had a, a note um, from previous readings of this that I think is really interesting. I think that there's a parallel for us. Jesus talked about how in the days, in the last days of this planet, it would be as it was in the days of Noah. And I want to see if you can see something interesting here. How long did Noah wait in the ark before the flood? He was shut in. How long? Eight days. Okay. So Rahab is sitting here, and she's told, once you see us, walk around. Seven days for Noah, but um, it could be eight. I, I don't know. So Rahab is shut in her house. Everyone who is in her house and shut in her house survives she's told this is what you do noah's told this is what you do what's going to happen after this destruction outside how's that going to happen not your business but i'll save you here's a sign she has to hang out this thing noah's in there basically they are in this and they're waiting for the destruction of everything outside and they have no idea how their salvation is going to happen but they have a promise. That's really all they have, is they have their obedience. 
Because I imagine if somebody's like, well, I'm going to be saved or I'm just going to leave Rahab's house, but I'm just going to go down and get a sandwich. You know, that, that wouldn't work. Just wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Rahab is saved because she did the thing that she was to do. I, I think that, that, this, that there's parallels here. There's parallels, I mean, with, with the Passover, with Noah, with Rahab, with, with all of these things that at some point it's just like, well, we're just going to have to wait for a supernatural salvation through this, through this crazy storm that's going to happen. And you read in Revelation 18.4, there's a prophecy uh, that's for the last days. It's for us where, where messengers from heaven say, come out of this false system, this false, this whole false thing that you've been sold a bill of goods. And this is really super important as we move forward, because if you don't, you will receive the punishment that is reserved for her. It's the harlot in Revelation. We'll you get into a Revelation study later, but basically that's the bad group, right? Okay, so there's a pure virgin in Revelation and there's a harlot. And the harlot is going to receive all of these punishments. I mean, it's bad. You read Revelation, it's pretty serious. And God tells his people, stay away from her. Get away from her, or you are going to receive that same punishment. It's like we see it with Achan coming up. If you mm-hmm. take the things that are going to be punished and you keep them close to you, you'll get the punishment that's reserved for that. It's not because I want to punish you. It's because you took the thing that I told you is going to be punished. It's like it's like Moab, Moses telling people around Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, like, get away from their tents. Like, don't even be near them or you will receive the punishment they get. It's a theme. It's not a one-time thing. We see this happen again and again. And we're going to see it in Chapter 7. Yeah, I think it's that forewarning, though, and I and I look at the the reference that you made with Noah, and I'm wondering too if it wasn't the time where where it was the announcement. Okay, get in the get in the ark and wait. So the announcement that you know what the flood is coming that was that was a seven days. You mm-hmm. look at looking at doing something new and conquering something new, sending out the the doves or the dove. That was seven days that it returned. You know, I'm thinking those are those are all significant. And I look at and I kept going back and I kept thinking, why every time that they mention Rahab, do they have to call her a harlot? I think we, we gathered that right in the beginning. Yeah, but yeah. This keeps bringing it up. Every time you see her name, you see harlot. I, I think I got the gist of it. But I think <laughs> it just wants you to know that, you know what? God will find you anywhere. And if you're Amen. doing his yeah. will. You will be spared, no yeah. matter if you're okay, a harlot. Once again, but still, it says that um, in twenty five six twenty five, as Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, and her father's household, and you know, and and all that she had, and she was able to go to Israel, and that's where she dwelled. She made it to her promised land. Yeah, by human standards, there would have been no special reason for her to be saved nope none. no and she I, would have, uh, she would have received those punishments you know being a harlot you know that that was death God, I, in the acts you die so yeah. i think it's i think it's going with that that you know what god will find you and use you no matter what you do i.e a harlot 
Yeah, by way, Genesis. Oftentimes, as we're reading through the Bible and we're hearing these different stories, I remember the text. Gosh, where is it? Like Jeremiah or something like that. It says, "Many, many sheep have I that are not of this fold." Mm-hmm. It's like God, you know, God sees the whole world as just a bunch of His children, and just because He's working with Israel in a special way to make them be a light on the hill, to to bring everyone in and show His power through them. That doesn't mean he's ignoring everybody else or that he's blind to anybody else. Every living soul on the earth is his child. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, Genesis 7.10, it was seven days. So, Karen, that's the last time I copy off your paper. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I think it's, I think it's interesting that, that various people are called to wait. It's not like, okay, I'll, I'll be there. In just a minute, it's like you're going to wait. You're going to think through this through. You're going to have time to reflect, and you have to hold on in faith and rely on me. And Rahab mm. did, and it's I I can't help but think that these stories are told to us for a reason, uh, both for the past and the future. Yeah. All right. We jump into seven. Yeah. yeah. So the so the city gets burned. The, the 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 Israelites go in and kill everything that's alive in there, and and, and just destroy everything that can be destroyed. But one guy does what he's not supposed to do. Achan brings some of the accursed things. When I first read accursed things, I assumed idols. But it's really not idols. It's just, like you said, stuff. Eric, it's just stuff. It's just stuff from the city. Uh, but it had a special. It had a special designation. And the footnote yeah. in the ESV is when it says... Devoted, it is, that is, set apart or devoted as an offering to the Lord for destruction. This is a very specific thing. And so, so to, to recap, if you guys haven't read it, in, in, uh, in Joshua 6, well, we're not told that this is what happens, but basically Achan takes some stuff that he wasn't supposed to take, that he was specifically told not to, and but nobody knows that in Israel. And... Yeah. Israel shows up, Joshua sees this little city of AI, and they're like, ah, it's little, it's not a big deal, don't bother sending the whole army, just send 3,000 men. They send 3,000 men. The people from AI come out and just like swarm the Israelite soldiers, chase them downhill, kill, I think it's 36 Israelites, and Israel is stunned. They're like, whoa, what happened? We took down Jericho, and now this little tiny town here kicked our booties are we going to lose? And they all get sad and they all get oh, brokenhearted and they're like, Oh no, what's going to happen? And we're going to, we can't lose. Jericho must've been just lucky. And Joshua says in, in verse nine, says, and, and what will you do for your great name? He's like, Hey, what's going to happen? You're going to get a bad reputation if we show up and lose. And then they find out what happened. Yeah. It, uh, comes comes to light and God lets them know that somebody's taken some of the stuff your your um how does how do they put it here uh, God says Israel has sinned and that yeah. that's interesting to me Israel has sinned yes. you know after after going around and walking around the city doing all these things and one guy screws up and Israel has sinned and they've taken some of these cursed things. But I think it's a totality of everything is that everybody had a part in Israel. It wasn't just each individual person. They were all together 
as one nation under God. So one broke from that. It was all or nothing. Yeah. And we totally don't have a concept of that um, in the Western world today. No. The, the, the idea that, that that a group can be punished for the sins of one. It's just, just, it's not part of our world. The whole honor shame thing of the past, it's just, it's a foreign concept to us. That, literally. Literally. But I mean, it's just like a thing. We, I'm trying to get my head around it. I, I read a book. Um, it's called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes, I believe is the name of the book. And it really kind of brought out a lot of cultural differences that we just miss. And this is one of them. This idea mm -hmm. that, that a, a group could be judged by the, the behavior of an individual. And it's it's sobering. It's scary because it can tend towards, I think you're doing the wrong thing. You know, I'm watching Matt like, Matt, you got to get your act together. Or we're all in trouble. That sounds about right. <laughs> and then, right. And then, and then at what point does it become Eric's job to actually punish Matt? Like not just talk to him about his clear errors, but actually punish him. You know, like <laughs> boy, between humans, that stuff gets, that stuff gets iffy. Yes. Tracy. Yeah. So then, so this is what brings me back And this, 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 whole reading this time brought me back to just my military service and it's and it's it's so odd how it, it works this way because you look at it and God has to break a person or a nation down to rebuild them into what he wants them to be yes. that breaking down was was the journey was the exodus that building up and tearing down to form what he needed to do to get to make it all or one to get into the promised land and follow exactly what he wanted to do. And I think about that and, and it takes me back to, and this is going to date myself, but 8-1-1988. And that is the day that I went into the Navy. And the thing is, when they get you there, what do they do to everyone? They yell in your face, they shave your head, and they break you down into one unit. And that's the Navy. While they do that, they sit there and coach you all the way that, you know what, your one mistake could cost everyone their life like Aiken. Mm. That My one dad. mistake from one person can have terrible ramifications. You're one. You're one team. Everybody needs to do their job the way they're told so everybody makes it home. You break that, people get hurt, people die. And I sit there and I look at that. And that's how the exodus and the journey going into Canaan remind me of that. It's breaking down and making a, a unit for God. That was God making his, his people and how one person can cause this kind of damage. My dad just... was in Vietnam and he said, um, because his, his basic training was... There was, there was no AIT after basic. It was basic and then war. And he he described that same process, like what you're talking about. Like you go in, they know they're sending these 18, 19-year-old kids straight to the front lines. And they were brutal. They're brutal. Like they, a lot of their, he said a lot of their training exercises were done with live rounds. Like, mm. they, like that's where they were sending you. So that's how they trained you. And, and I, 
And he, the way that he explained it to me was by telling me what what GI stood for. He said, by the time we were they were done with us, we were GIs, government issued. And I was like, oh, yeah, like you were you were an anonymous weapon tool member that now had to perform at this level for the sake of all. And it gets a little, I think where that gets diluted in in the in Western society, because we do, we have a really strong individualistic point of view. That's what the entire nation was founded on. So it shouldn't surprise us. But then we get annoyed when it goes against like what we think, like I'm an individual and I think this and I have these people here and we think this and now you think something else and that's that's weird and it's wrong and it's dangerous and I don't like it, right? But this entire nation was founded on individuality, so it's kind of like, I get it. it. It's just, it's just, it gets hard to deal with sometimes. And then in other ways, it's a strength. But you know, like with um, when I first heard the story of Aiken as a kid, I was so offended that his whole family had to die with him. They didn't, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. You know, they didn't go into Jericho. His wife and kids didn't go into Jericho and go, well, that's a pretty robe. Take that one. You know, but but then as I got older and started to absorb this idea of being a cohesive team where everybody is responsible to and for each other, it gets a little more, it gets a little more black and white. Like, well, you either did wrong or you didn't do wrong. Yeah. So let's just go over what happened here in the story. They, they go up to They go up to AI. They get defeated. And God says to Joshua, Joshua's like laying out in front of God saying, oh, what's going to happen? God says, this is really interesting. In uh, verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, like Matt said. You know, somebody stole something that they shouldn't have. And they're like, oh, okay. So they go through the uh, the this interesting system of, of pulling lots to where, they, where it narrows it down to the tribe and then the clan and then the family and then to Aiken and then Aiken gets caught with the stuff. So here's an interesting progression. We know that Aiken wasn't supposed to do it. He did it. And we may think of this as like, oh, this is a terrible thing. Aiken was just like he had nothing he could do. Follow this progression of what Aiken could have done differently. One, he could have decided before they ever went into the city, I'm going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But then let's let's suppose he saw it and he's like, Okay, I, I'm actually, I wanted to take it, but I'm going to leave it. He didn't. He took it. Right. Now, he could have taken it back to camp. He had, could have had it in his pocket and said, you know what? No, I changed my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get rid of this. But he didn't. After the attack, after the failed attack on AI, he could say, oh, this was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Hey, guys, I did this wrong. This is terrible. I'm super sorry. Didn't do it. Kept a secret. God calls it and says, hey, somebody in the camp did wrong. He probably had an idea who that was. He didn't raise his hand and say, hey, that was me, right? And by the way, that was overnight. God announced this, and they said, the next day, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. He had all night to think about that. He didn't do it. During the investigation, we're going to figure out who this is. He could have said, you know, save your time, guys. It's me. Didn't do it. He yeah. waited until it got literally to him. And like, it's you, isn't it? And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, it's me. Here's mm-hmm. the thing. And here's the crazy thing. It's in the Bible. Is that he describes he is about to get killed and he knows this, right? And they're like, what did you do? He's like, oh, but there was that beautiful robe from Babylon. Are you kidding me? Like if I stole a thing and it was going to cost me my life, I wouldn't just, I'd say that stupid, horrible, dumb thing. Why did I do it? He's still talking about it like, 
Oh, it's that beautiful Babylonian robe. As if they would go, oh, it is beautiful. Yeah, we understand why you would have taken that. I mean, gosh, who could resist that beautiful robe? And it brings up the problem of covetousness, wanting something that isn't ours. And there's all these sins that are, that are, that God says, don't go there. And we think, I could, it's probably safe with me. I could do that one. <laughs> and so we've, I could, it's probably not that bad for me. And the, the Christian church in a modern way has kind of, uh, They've kind of categorized sins a little bit. Some are really bad. And in, in the Christian church today, any sins involving sexuality, oh, those are big ones, man. Those are, those extra are, bad. Those are extra mm. bad. We put those in a headline and we're like, that's a big deal. But covetousness, slander, gossip, hate, greed, eh, you know, we can like, we, we can call those things ambition and goals and, you know, whatever. No, we're, they're not safe with us. We see yeah. that happen later. You know, Ahab wants Naboth's vineyard, and that that greed could cause just such destruction for the, ourselves and others. You know, I, I'm looking at it, and I, I agree with what what Eric's saying. Is it's that covetousness that makes it so bad? Is that he he went through the whole process, and he knew exactly from the get go was him. He knew what he had done and he decided to hide it and was hoping that, you know what, they'll go through the process and maybe they won't find me. But God always knows is the bottom line. But I was looking at that and I was thinking, OK, was this was spoils of war. So a beautiful Babylon garment. It doesn't tell us what it was. It could have been, you know, something like a sash that throws around their neck or something. I don't know. Um, but I was looking at at how much did he take? And so I went through and I was like, okay, okay, 200 shekels. That's like roughly like five pounds. So being mm. an old chemist, I have a, a, a desk weight that's, that's 2.2 kilograms. So I went through and I would, this is what I looked in. This is how I buy my time during the day, I guess, when I'm reading this stuff. But 200 <laughs> shekels of silver, five pounds. And he took 50 shekels of, or a wedge of gold. That's a pound. This is six pounds of stuff in, in let's just call it a, a scarf wrapped up. It's not very big. I'm looking at this, this analytical weight here that's five, five and a half pounds, and I could hold it in my hand. Mm-hmm. This was a little garment that was wrapped up, and in, in the way I'm thinking about it, and, and buried. That's it. Yeah, that's and you got to want... The, the, how much it's worth to the heart to covet something so yeah. much... That you're willing to sacrifice everything for a nation for something you could put in your hand. Yeah. And you got to wonder, what was he going to do with it? (laughs) You know, he obviously knew he shouldn't have had it or he wouldn't have hidden it. Right. And, you know, if like you say, it was this amazing robe, everybody's going to be like, hey, where'd you get the robe? Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, I mean, the, the, the gold and silver, I suppose you might be able to pass off over time, but. I, I mean, it's just like you took it and you hit it. What were you going to do with it? You know, I mean, those are the kind of things we did as kids. You don't think things through and, and uh, you know, you try to hide it. And it comes out and you try to hide it and everybody still knows. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of the murder mystery shows. And, you know, right down at the very end, they come. Oh, yeah, I did it. And I did it for this reason. You know, they still go to they still go to prison. They still go to jail. 
And, uh, you know, and it cost his family their life, you know, his wife, his kids. And you know, I, I think about that too, but I think sometimes, and I don't know, it's maybe it's because I, you know, I tease my wife a little bit and I said, well, I've, I've served like 30 years in the salt mines. That's how I compare marriage, which she doesn't really <laughs> like. But I think when you do that, you know, I don't know how long Aiken was married, but anytime I do something, my wife knows what I do. Did yeah. she know that he buried it? Did he did, did he say, hey, listen, I got a whole bunch of silver and gold and I just buried it. You know, this is what I took. You know, it's possible. And sometimes that's how punishment gets doled out. You know, like yeah. Karen was saying, it's like I didn't understand why, you know, maybe the husband, wife and family got murdered or right. got punished. Right. It could be that. I'm not saying that it was because sometimes, you know, you're caught unaware you know, and it was rather quickly. Maybe he didn't have a chance to tell her. I don't know. But I, I think he was trying to profit the family as well. But character, think about this. Like, I know Matt and and his wife and their boys. They have, and this is a good thing. It's a compliment, Matt. Your boys are a combination of the character of you and your wife. And it's a good thing. you got good, solid kids. I like them. Yeah. And I wonder if Aiken had this this covetous nature. I mean, because think about this. He didn't steal it from the city because before they went in, it was specifically said, those things are now gods. So he's stealing from the treasury of God's stuff. That's what this was. Make no mistake about this. That's no small thing. Now, it might have been small in weight and in size, but it wasn't a small thing of the heart. And it cost not only his family, this is the part that really bums me out, is like, Tracy, you said the mistake that one can make in the military can cost the life of others. 36 soldiers died because of this. Mm -hmm. None of those 36 people stole anything from Jericho. And that, man, today in our Western world, like, yeah, I'm doing my thing. I'm going to do my thing. And I don't care what it's like. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down there, Hoss. We have we do have individual rights and we're judged individually but to tracy's point what we do it impacts other people so they do find out it was aiken and they take him and they take the stuff that he well all of his stuff his family um, he gets stoned and burned and i think they burn all the stuff and if i'm not mistaken the precious metals were supposed to go to the uh temple treasury yeah. So that stuff would have gone there, but they deal they deal with the situation in a way that seems harsh to us. But like Eric said, his actions caused the death of thirty six people, and um, not only that, but God had said, "Until you take care of this, I'm not going to be with you." And these were a people that it would appear had finally gotten the gotten the point that their parents hadn't in the wilderness. They really figured out that. This stuff is all is all because of God. And after you see those walls fall down, you got to just, you know, well, you'd think that with a lot of things they'd seen. But but, you know, these people had finally gotten it. They, they got they got the point. And so, OK, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with this right now. And and uh, they stone him. They kill him. They burn him. They take care of business. Get this. Get this stuff out of our camp. We can't have this here. And they do. After they do that. It's not only it's very long here. God reassures them then that AI is going, he's going to give them AI now, which they had just attacked. 
and got their butts kicked, like quickly got their butts interesting, kicked. Interesting. Your point is, is that let's not miss that, is that as God is talking to Joshua here, and the Lord said to Joshua in, in chapter 8 at the beginning, you don't find that before they head into AI the first time. Right. It's just like Joshua said, and his men advised him, like, yeah, we don't really need to worry about that. Let's just, and Joshua's like, okay, sounds like a good idea. There's nowhere in there where they asked God. Yep. They just thought, oh, well, we can go get it. And uh, yeah, didn't have God with them. And well, uh, didn't on even. On the human scale of things, AI is so much smaller than Joshua. Do you even need to stop and ask? God has promised you the land. God gave you Joshua, or God gave you Jericho, which was huge. Like, mm. AI is nothing. It's a, yeah. it's a, it barely even comes up on Google map, Maps when they searched it, I'm sure. Right. But to the yeah. point, I think that I'm not sure that there's any decision that we should just say, oh, God, I got this. Right. 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 And they, yeah, they just went and tried to do it on their own. And they did not know at that point that God wasn't with them because of what Achan had done. But now Achan has been dealt with and God says, okay. AI is yours now. And so Joshua is not going to mess around this time. He's not sending any 3,000 men. He sends he sends 30,000 just to go behind the city where nobody will see them and uh, send some remaining forces out front to kind of taunt AI into coming out and attacking. And when when they do, when AI does come out and attack and that little set of forces retreats, those 30,000 men then come in and take the city. So, yeah, they win, they win, um, they win AI, which is interesting. Did you guys say, yeah, you can have the stuff that's inside AI? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's like if Aiken had just like waited, it, it would be like, just like, the first one's a test. Are you going to, are you going to follow me? Or are you going to do what I say? And then don't worry, I'll, I'll set you guys up. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh. It's like Jericho was sort of a tithe, if you think about it. I, it was. It was it's called the first words. Yeah. It exa- it actually, it really was. And I think that it kind of goes towards the God is going to take care of us. But we, our job, number one, is to follow what he said to do. Number two, how's that all going to work out? How's that going to turn out? That's his job. Mm-hmm. So they do this. It's important to see that they renew the covenant before they move on further into the promised land. They stop. They write out the whole law so that everybody can read it. They do the responsive reading, one on one side of the mountain, one on the other. It's They get their spiritual house in order after kind of some of these first things, and then they're ready to move on further. And we get into a, a little interesting situation in Chapter 9 now, where, like yeah. we've said, everybody in the area knows full well what's happening. And these Gibeonites show up and these guys, these guys are locals, but they put on a pretty good show of acting like they've come from a long way. They bring moldy bread. They put on worn out clothes, you know, shoes with holes in them. And they come up and go, oh, we've we've come from a long way. Just look at look, look at all this. Look, look at how far we've come, because this bread was warm when we took it out of the oven. And look, now it's moldy. We've come from far, far away. And we'd like to make a treaty with you. <laughs> uh, and uh, apparently Joshua goes for it. And they make a treaty with these people. Now, you remember, they weren't supposed to make 
treaties with anybody local. They were supposed to offer peace to the far off countries, which tells me tells me too that the people in the area maybe had caught wind of that as well with God's discussion to uh, Israel to not make peace with anybody local. The exception, though, mm-hmm. is that those who would repent from their idolatry, uh-huh. because because you've already got Rahab. Yeah. She was part of this. It's like, hey, if you're going to renounce, because God is always saying, if you renounce your sinful ways, I'll forgive you. Always. And this is, this is an exception. Now, they come to it with deception instead of saying, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to give up our idolatry. I think they were a little bit nervous that that wouldn't be enough. So it's like, okay, we got to trick them. Verse 14 is like the saddest verse in in our reading Mm -hmm. so the men took some of the provisions but did not ask counsel from the lord and the point is is that they they, like us are like well i'll believe it when i see it well guess what joshua and all his buddies saw it they touched it they smelled it into all of their senses they're like yep this is the real deal we know but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. And can our eyes be fooled? Yes. Can our noses be fooled? Yes. Did they taste the moldy bread? I don't know. But the point is, their senses and our senses can be fooled. We see this again. I'm going to take it to modern day. Jesus says there will be great deceptions, great deceptions, and the deceiver will perform great signs even calling down fire from heaven in the last days. These are not small, just like, you know, uh, sleight of hand type of deceptions. These are massive deceptions that people can see, hear, feel, maybe taste. And that's, if we rely on our, well, I'm pretty smart. If I see it with my eyes, I'll believe it. If I don't see it, I won't believe it. And that's a pretty dangerous position to take. Yeah, well, it turns out it takes three days for the Israelites to realize they've been sort of duped here, but they've made this treaty already, which I, I find interesting that they decide to honor the treaty, even though they know it was done. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, fraudulently. Yeah, there you go. Fraudulently. Uh, yeah. Nowadays, still... that would never hold up. Nowadays, if one side of an agreement, a binding agreement lied in order to get that agreement, the whole thing would be moot. Like it would just be dissolved. Mm-hmm. But not these guys. These guys honored it. I've, I've always been I've always been surprised by that. Yeah. And not yeah. only did they did they honor it in the sense of that they that they allowed the, the Gibeonites to live. Now, we can fast forward through some of this. They say and Joshua's like, yeah, OK, you can live, but you're going to be servants serving the tabernacle with its chores. Like you're going to go get the water and you're going to be woodcutters. That's the, always you guys. You put on the clothes of a servant and you showed up to us. Well, guess what? Those clothes are going to stick to you and your descendants. And the Gibeonites were like, well, okay, it's better than being dead. We'll, we'll move forward. But not only did they honor the Gibeonites that way, but when the people around heard that the Gibeonites had made a, a treaty with Israel, they surround the city, the Gibeonite city. And the Gibeonites are like, hey, help. And Joshua, instead of saying, really, you know what? We said we were going to, we weren't kid, we weren't going to kill you, but we didn't say we were going to stop somebody else from killing you. Mm. But 
they they take it a step further and they say, all right, we're going to we will be your allies, which is to me, it's like, wow, you talk about honor. Yeah, these guys are next level and they show up and they do the they they fight against these uh, five kings and a miracle shows up. Uh, Just an incredible one. This is where Joshua is he's been promised that's your point earlier karen he's been promised the promised land and he knows this is a big deal you got these five kings who've come from everywhere else this is like the one battle just like moses had that opportunity and joshua asks for the same miracle that moses did and he says son stand still that's in uh verse 12 and the sun stood still and the moon stopped and they fought an extra day and they they wiped out all these kings. Now, there's an interesting little thing here. It says, is is this not written in the book of Jeshar? It's kind of like, okay, where is that? I have to like find out that extra stuff. And it's kind of like in Revelation, it's like, uh, well, no, it's actually not in Revelation. It's, it's uh, Paul's writing. He says, I'm writing to you, the church. I'm not sure if it was like Thessalonica or Corinthians. And I want you to read the letter, the book that I wrote to the church in Laodicea. I know. Like, oh, man, where's that? Or Jude, where he talks about the book of Enoch. I want to read the book of Enoch. Right? So anyway, so this happened, and the Lord fought for Israel, and they prevail. Israel prevails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, against, like you said, all those those forces that joined up, because they knew this one king is like, you know what, guys? I've been hearing all these things that these Israelites are doing and all the, and the things that, and the things that God is doing for them. Yeah. And he gets like everybody else in the region and like, let's go attack these guys. And man, that just, that doesn't go well uh, for the, for them. It goes well for, for Israel. And if you know, you want my opinion here, made Israel's job a little easier because <laughs> they didn't have to go to each city individually. <laughs> Got it all but, done uh, once. Yeah. And you know, you got to think, you know, when these guys, a lot of times when these guys got wiped out quickly, it was because they attacked Israel. And if they hadn't, you know, it it might have drawn things out a bit longer. But yeah, and um, not only did they fight, okay, so this is a really interesting thing. I didn't, oh, okay, so yeah, it's in uh, verse 11 is that these kings and their soldiers are fighting against Israel. And then the Lord threw down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel with the sword. So basically, Israel's winning, and God says, yeah, oh, you think you're doing pretty cool? Watch this. Mm-hmm. And then he just takes nature in his hand and just literally pounds them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then that, yeah, that, that, that miracle of the sun and the standing still you know that that's a that's a really huge miracle i mean if you think about what that should have done to <laughs> gravity and, and and inertia you know if you if you're just going to yeah. stop because for the stun sun to stop moving you have to assume that that means that the earth stopped moving yeah you know and mm-hmm. and yeah, then about this too if you're if you're a worshiper of the sun oh man yeah, you're like, oh, the sun is the all-powerful thing. And all of a sudden, the sun's like, yeah, no, I'm taking the side of God here. You'd be mm. like, what? What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, all your all your your whole belief system 
See, because we look at this and we're like, oh, it's physics. Everybody else around them, their belief system would have been just like, well, I guess there goes that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I love the next part there, too, where the kings kings all decide, let's go hide. But uh, nobody taught them very well how to play hide-and-seek because they all go and hide in the same cave. And uh, Joshua catches wind of where they are, and they go and get them, and, and he calls for the men of Israel. He's like, come put your net, your foot on the necks of these guys. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a sign of conquest. It's a sign... Really, it's there to kind of belittle them too. It's like you, I own you. I control you now. I, everything about you is is is, uh, is mine. But they kill the kings. They kill them. They hang them on 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 uh, trees until the evening. Eventually, they just kind of seems like unceremoniously toss their bodies back into the cave they were found when they're dead. And that's that. That's kind of that's like kind of it for. All the fighting. I don't know how long this took. It sure doesn't seem like it took very long. Uh, from yeah, starting with overnight, from when the Gibeonites said, "Hey, help!" Yeah, Israel yeah. marched overnight, caught this other army by surprise. They're like what? And this battle lasted. I guess I was going to say all day, but I'm not sure what you call a thing that's two days in a row without a night. <laughs> yeah, all day, yeah. day. and right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, from the time of Jericho till this, I mean, that's basically it. That's that's pretty much the extent of the fighting to take the take the promised land. And it, it sure doesn't seem like it was. I mean, it definitely doesn't seem like it was a lot of work on the part of on the part of the Israelites. And, you know, I've heard I've heard criticism about this, you know, calling God this war God and stuff. And and, um, you know, if you if you were to listen to those criticisms, you would think that that was just all Israel ever did was fight, go and take over, fight, fight, fight. And I mean, this just sounds like this happened super quickly. They walked in, they took it, and then they were basically done with the fighting. I don't know how much more. I mean, I know we get into issues with Palestine and stuff like that down the road, but um, 29 to 43 goes through. And it's just kind of like and they fought in this area and they did this and they did this and they did this. Yeah. Really have any kind of calendar for how long that took, but they were clearing it out and they left a few spots uh, unconquered. Which uh, we talk about following God's complete set of instructions. The fact that they did not finish the job caused them no end of grief for the rest of their, I mean, Joshua, Judges, um, Samuel. Chronicles, and just on and on and on, these few people that they didn't finish the job that God gave them to do become their the bane of their existence. Yeah. Yeah, but verse 42 does say something that I, I thought was, was good. And it says, All these kings in their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. They didn't take it quickly because they were amazing soldiers. And I think, you know, I mean, these days I think Israel... Is kind of well known for training their soldiers well. They're kind of known for having really well trained uh, military, so I don't think that has ever kind of gone away. But uh, it, it wasn't because of Joshua's amazing battle skills and and um, you know the way he set the men out and that kind of thing. This was all. This was this was God. God. God went before them. God did the fighting. God did this. And, and uh, you know, the Israelites kind of came in and, and played cleanup. 
So no, was, uh, I think that's the point, though. It's 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 all God, and yeah. there's no way that mortal man could take take uh, credit for this. It was much a much higher power, and it all the actions were driven by God. Mm-hmm. Were you gonna say something, Karen? Yeah, um, I went and grabbed my Bible that has the timeline in it. Uh huh. And it has all of these things happening, all, all of these chapters that we read, all of them happening in uh, 1451 BC. So pretty busy year. And then at the beginning of chapter 11, it goes to 1450. So it moves forward a year at that point. Mm. And that's kind of like a group of scholars' best guess based on the historical events and people that are referenced. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. And I'll be curious to look at a map and see, you know, get kind of a, an idea of the square square miles of all this, you know. But I mean, this was no little tiny little parcel of land. It was, it was quite the feat for this to happen. And if it all happened with even within one year, I mean, that is still that's still pretty amazing, pretty significant. Any final thoughts? I think no. that over history, it has we've seen. The, like what we were talking about earlier, and we've talked about it in previous weeks, where like the dilemma between the individual and the community, and this this whole year of of COVID has seen some interesting trends to me in human nature about judging each other, yeah. and cohesive thought, and what is a point of danger. And where do I lash out and take action against you because you are dangerous? You are clearly wrong. Mm. And I think that this is an element of human nature that has always existed. Look, I mean, like in some places, uh, in chapters we've already read, God is giving the Israelites instruction. And he says, if this happens, and if somebody does this, do this. And so shall you put away evil from among you, right? And some of that is very clear. And on a human-to-human basis, without God's leading, you end up with nifty things like the Dark Ages. Mm -hmm. Like, we're right, our religious thoughts are right, and our beliefs on religious implementation are right, and we disagree with you. And because we disagree with you, you are clearly wrong. And because you are wrong and we can overpower you, we are going to muscle you under our thumb in this way, and we're going to feel justified in our own eyes and in God's eyes. Which are obviously the same thing from my point of view, because I'm the one that's right. 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 And I mean, I just, I just have been so shocked this year at how quickly modern society could escalate from individual rights to group think and group enforcement. And well, I do believe in strength of community, I don't think that humans can be trusted with the job of judging each other. Right. And I, and I have been, I have been shocked and appalled at how willing people were to do just that with mm-hmm. only human understanding. Mm-hmm. Were yeah. and that's still kind of, are. Yeah. And I think that's that's the big thing is I think when we when we don't see it through through God's eyes, everything that's different becomes an issue, mm-hmm. you know, and just the, the differences are enough to divide a nation. Yep. 
you know, and I think that's where we're at now, where we've said for many and many weeks, you know, even amidst COVID that has divided us. Yeah. Something as basic as a mask has divided us. And I think it's just, it's, it's the ingredients to a bigger problem. So I wrote this, I wrote this homework assignment about, um, how the brain works. And, and one of the things that's in there is it's, it's called latent inhibition. And it's a thing that we're supposed to have. It's a mechanism in our brain that frees up our brain cells and our analytical sensory intake. It frees it up for things that we don't understand. All right. So I walk into a room, I know what a door is. I my brain sees, analyzes, and dismisses the door immediately. The cat, I've seen the cat before, sees, analyzes, dismisses the cat. Anything that's familiar is immediately dismissed. I only focus, and that, and, and the design of it, we're supposed to do this, is so that I have mental energy, so that I have resources, cognitive resources, to put onto things that I don't understand. All right, so that's great, but what if the human is lazy? Right? What if the human has led a limited life? What if the human has been damaged? Then what I what I think is what what I am willing to accept and dismiss as familiar becomes very small, becomes very narrow, and the things that I pause and look at become greater. All right, well, what if I become lazy enough that I don't want to integrate those new things? What if everything that's new becomes alarming instead, right? See how easy it is? Like the the natural mechanism of our brain can work against us if we don't run it. Like if it runs us and we just follow our natural inclination of, ooh, that caught my attention. That out of this entire group caught my attention as different. Clearly, it's wrong, Clearly, it's dangerous, right? And so, how, how the examples I used, I use some. So, it's a, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman, right? It's like the recognition process. But then, how, how, how much of a stretch is it in in a complicated society with a lot of different inputs? Honestly, more than any of us can integrate well. It's, it's complicated. So how, you know, where, where is, where do we go from, it's the middle of the night, someone's walking around downstairs, it's dangerous, right? How, how easy is it to go from a natural progression of thought like that to, um, she's cute, she's wearing a short dress, she wants it, or he's black it's after dark, he's out to hurt someone, right? Like how, how easy is it for our natural brain's mechanism if we don't guide that thing and train it to become dismissive or judgmental or alarmist about things that are other than us? And I just, I see so much escalation in society that is based in us and them. Like us is good, them is bad. Us is familiar them is not familiar and therefore it's dangerous. 
I don't know. I just I see a lot of this going on in the political sphere and in the masks. Yes, the masks and COVID and all of that stuff has really escalated it also. There's a lot of divisiveness going on. And the devil, I'm sure, is so happy, happy, happy. That's the end of my spiel. Yeah, it makes, you know, the like you say, the, the, the strange division and the just watching society degrade even over this last week. It makes me more able to accept that God said we need to clean the area after working with people for 400 years, people who had not made any attempt to follow him, who had actively moved away from him. You know, if you've if you've got any Christian sensibilities at all. You see, you see that the people who don't follow God, are, it's very rare to find someone of, um, of a noble character who, who isn't making some attempt to follow, to follow God. And if you figure that if you were to allow our society to go on for 400 years, where would we be? You know, and, you know, we've seen things started to degrade very quickly. I'm not sure we're going to see things get better very quickly. I think we could see things degrade faster and faster. And, you know, it makes you wonder what what recourse is God going to have? And the Bible's pretty clear. At some point, he destroys the world, you know. Thankfully, we do still have quite a few people in our nation, in our world, that are making attempts to try to follow God to the you know the best we can and um seek his guidance look to him for for wisdom i would say i would say i would caveat what you're saying and say to our best understanding of god because i think there's a lot of people out there who disagree extremely disagree with each other and they all are trying to follow god Mm -hmm. and that's and that's part of where this stuff gets tricky it's like if yeah. I'm trying to follow God and I'm and I'm doing that through a completely set of different set of expectations or beliefs than you, then what does that do to how we treat each other? Mm-hmm. And at what point in a sense of community cohesiveness do I start to judge you because you're doing it different than me and maybe want to enforce my views on you because clearly I'm right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And all in the name of God. Yeah, there's still you still see an attempt though. You don't see, you know, we don't have people. We haven't gotten to the point where people are sacrificing their children to Molech, you know, yet. Um, we're, we're we're still trying. People are still trying. They're they're making a point. They're making a point of trying to follow the one true God, and that's probably the only redeeming factor right now. Not uh, all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter yeah. into the kingdom. True. No, true. We're going to get all the way down to the end of this merry-go-round, and there are going to be people so surprised and horrified that they're not that they're not going to heaven because they have they have been that sincerely misguided. Mm-hmm. Where the devil's going around like a roaring lion, seeking people to devour, like he's active. Yeah, yeah. So we we have to be constantly asking God for that direction. Just like the people didn't ask before they went into AI, we need to be asking God every single day, "What do you want me to do today? How show me, guide me, direct me." Mm-hmm. Uh, like Solomon, ask for wisdom. That's 
I mean, you, generally when I pray, that's the thing I ask for more than anything. It's like, give me wisdom today, God. Give me wisdom to know how to deal with today. You know, and I think, too, to add to that, I think that's, that is very good advice. You know, that we do seek that knowledge and perspective and, and focus on that. I also think, too, sometimes we have to – sometimes we just need to listen and not be so quick to speak. And I think sometimes those – what happens is you get caught in the moment and it becomes emotional and things just flare off out of yeah. your mouth you know, before it's actually processed. And I think that's what we need. We need that process time to really sit back and think about what's going on and, you know, in essence – Maybe maybe we do need to pray before we respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I regret it every single time I go off half cocked and just, you know, jump and think that I'm doing, you know, I'm justified in this and I, you know, jump in every single time I end up regretting it. Because even even if I'm right, moving too quickly like that always ends up with doing it wrong. You know. But, yeah. So but we need to be constantly looking for God's will. And that means that means studying our Bibles. That means praying. That means actively thinking about how we are acting and reacting to the things around us. It's a it is a constant, it's a constant thing. And not doing that is the reason that Canaan lost that land. The Canaanites lost that area. And and why God decided somebody else needs to be in this area. You know, that was a very that's a that was a very important piece of real estate because it put Israel right in the middle of, you know, major trade routes as I understand. And everybody around the area in the area was going to have some dealings with that bit of of, of real estate. And um so God said we're going to I got to take these people out. We're going to put somebody in who will work with me. And um you know, it's because Israel chose to follow for for a while. For a while, yeah. you've got. Uh, so, what are we looking at for next week, Matt? Well, next week, I think we are going to cover a lot of ground next week because now that they're basically done fighting, Joshua kind of becomes a real estate agent and starts parsing out land to the individual tribes. And there's a lot of uh, this tribe got this specific land and these specific cities. And uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time working on that. There's some little gems in there. So we're going to finish the book of Joshua next week. So we're, we will pick it up in chapter 11. And we will go through to the end of the book, which I believe is uh, chapter 24. So I would recommend if you're reading along, start now. <laughs> <laughs> Karen, start now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, we will we'll finish that next week. Uh, in the meantime, keep in mind, you can contact us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can follow us on Facebook. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And be sure you subscribe to us so that you reach us each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. I got to look up that Hugh Laurie version. Oh, it's so awesome. So awesome. I've never heard it bluesy. I mean, I enjoy, I like it.
I kind of enjoy the the Elvis version. If you've never heard that, it's fun to listen to. And uh, but if you have a chance to find that vocal majority, I don't. I was looking for it the other day, and it might be on on YouTube. We've got it on a CD, and it's just phenomenal. It's so I good. Am not an Elvis fan, so I will not be looking that up. <laughs> what are you a communist? Uh, probably. I just don't like Elvis. <laughs> I'll be what you will. I refuse to be judged on this. <laughs>